0: I'm Ryan Milliken from Hardway Performance, and you're listening to the Diesel Power Podcast. I'm Dimitri Miller with No Zone Diesel. This is Anthony Rings from XDP. Jaron Holder from
1: Holder Down Performance. I'm Corey Willis with PPI. I'm Drew with DNJ Precision Machine. I'm
0: Pinky. And you're listening to the Diesel Power Podcast. Diesel Power Podcast. And you're listening to the Diesel Power Podcast. The one and only Diesel Power Podcast. What's going on, Diesel Nation? Glad you guys could join us today. We've got a Really cool episode. We've been wanting to do it for a while, and things worked out with our schedules. We're able to sit down and and uh, you know kind of plan this out and and uh, bring you guys some great content. So we're really excited for it. But before we start, we want to thank our sponsor, ATS Diesel Performance. They really make these podcasts possible. Uh, they do a great job supporting us, um, helping us um, you know understand the products or new things that they're doing and one of those is, is the rebuild kits that they have. They've put a ton of time, expertise, experience, engineering into bringing these kits basically from the drawing board to having them in a box ready to ship out or ready to go into your transmission. So whether you've got a, a first gen Dodge or, you know, a new Duramax and everything in between, these kits take the same quality parts that they put in their transmissions and make them available separately. So you guys can order these kits, you know, you get them UPS. You can, you know, rebuild your transmission yourself or take it to the transmission shop, hand them the parts. Or if you own a transmission shop and you're looking for a supplier of top quality kits, everything's in the box that you need. There's instructions, things are clearance correctly. You need to check out ETS Diesel. Then you can jump on their website. It's etsdiesel.com. Or if you want to give them a call, their number is 866-209-3695. Any of the guys you chat with there, they're friendly, they're knowledgeable. They can answer those those detailed questions that you guys might have. And ETS is offering a special, basically like an exclusive um, for all of our listeners. So if you call ETS and you mentioned the Diesel Power Podcast when you call, you're going to get a free t-shirt with your order. That's all you got to do. There's no liking, sharing commenting, any of that stuff, all you do is call ATS. Once you place an order, they're going to toss a t-shirt, the size you request, in the box. You just got to say, I heard it on the Power podcast. All right, let's get to this episode. We're going to have some fun with Vinny Himes, the man, the myth, the legend. How's it going, buddy? Yo,
1: all that in a bag of chips. I'm doing good, <laughs> brother.
0: What you got going on? <laughs> man, it's, summertime is rolling around, you know. Yeah, it is. Time to get outdoors a little bit and fish and camp and get bit by mosquitoes and everything else. That's right, <laughs> yep.
1: Pull ticks from places you didn't know you had places.
0: Have you seen that thing? Uh, I saw an infomercial had it this thing that pulls ticks, like, off people or dogs, this little plastic thing. I don't even know what it's called.
1: No, but I need but one. <laughs> We've been doing summertime food plots, and so I've been spending a lot of time out in the woods and out in the fields, and man, it's just... They're horrible out here.
0: I can imagine. I, I, I'm sure they're out here. I just I probably don't spend enough time out there to get one, but they don't look fun to deal with.
1: No. Well, the nice thing is up there, ticks are big. You can get a hold of them. Down here, we've got these things called seed ticks that are smaller than a freckle and look like a freckle, and they leave a welt that lasts about a month. Oof. Only way I've found to really get them off is to freeze them off of the ice cube. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: They'll back right out. It was it was cool the other day we were chatting, and somehow you know, we were talking about hobbies and you know diesel trucks and just kind of other things we're into. And I didn't know how much of an outdoorsman you were, how much you like to hunt and fish. And I thought it'd be cool chat with you today. You got a bunch of insights and just cool things to to talk to us about. So we wanted to pick your brain a little bit, so to speak. And uh, heck yeah, like I I, uh, I, mean, me, I, I mean I grew up in the know. city. I grew up right. in the city, man. So like, <laughs> I'm gonna ask you a I bunch didn't. of dumb questions. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I grew up in uh, BSE Montana, where you know you had to travel 350 miles to go get groceries, and a super tiny town about 315 people. I mean we were we are broke, we we're just poor, and that's how I grew up. I didn't think we were poor everybody was poor there There there's no economy so hunting was something we did out of necessity you know as soon as we turned 12 we went to hunter safety and we killed two deer because we had to kill two deer it wasn't a sport wasn't something where we were looking for big antlers or anything and the odd thing is when we moved from that town my dad got a better job and i was a teenager and you know all those kids were growing up everybody else quit hunting but you know for me it's the way i grew up there's so many good memories of my grandpa and my dad and I learned a lot of valuable life lessons, hunting, um, responsibility, respect, you know, killing an animal ethically, quickly, without suffering, you know, that's respect, and, and helping manage a herd, you know, not always shooting the biggest buck, you may shoot ones a little bit smaller, but obviously older, and game management something that I really love. Um, I was a huge part of the Rocky Mountain Elf Foundation when I lived in Montana up in Idaho and stuff, and so it's just, it's, part of my life it's never going to go away it's it's something i enjoy doing with my kids it's basically the reason i work at a diesel shop is to make money so i can hunt you know i mean that's not <laughs> peas and carrots of it all
0: well there's so much that goes into it that i find fascinating and you touched on it there with with the conservation and i know that you know in some circles out there for people who haven't done it or haven't been around the outdoors or firearms or those sorts of things is it serves a valuable purpose, and you know a lot more about this than I do, but I, I wanted to ask you what kind of science goes behind that, like when you draw tags and where you can do it and, and what they let you. Man, it's
1: our our fishing game folks, I mean, they they do so much work that most hunters and outdoorsmen, they don't even realize, and I, I spent a lot of time with another kid volunteering with the local forest department up there in Montana, and those guys never stopped, you know. We hunt a couple months out of the year, and then we're out of the woods, and we don't really think about it. But those people are out there all year long, and we did a lot of uh, game surveys where we would plot out huge sections of land, usually about 16,000 acres up in that area of the world. And we would grid these areas out on topo maps, and you would just basically walk them, big groups of people, and we'd walk these properties. And you find deer and elk and bears and a myriad of different game animals that were deceased and we would determine the cause of death, whether it was harsh winters, whether it was traffic, you know, roadkill that wandered off and died in the woods, whether it was people unethically hunting them, poaching, stuff like that. We could tell a lot from finding a corpse. And then we could also tell what had eaten it. So we would know if the deceased animals were going to waste and what was going on with it. And that was really cool. And I was about 12 years old. The first year I volunteered with them, and I volunteered with them until I was graduated out of high school. Every summer I would go and do these animal surveys up there in Montana, and you know that's how they determine which which areas they issue x amount of tags in. Um, that's when they may shorten a hunting season or lengthen a hunting season. What predators are moving into the area? Uh, wolves, mountain lions, grizzly bears. You know they have different effects on game animals. So I know as a hunter. I would get pretty aggravated some years because it'd be, you know, one year we'd get a hunt for a month and the next year we'd be cut down to two week hunting season. And, you know, I understood why, my buddies didn't understand why, but the worst thing I ever saw was a reintroduction of wolves up there in, in Montana and just absolutely decimated the white tail and the, and the elk herd, especially.
0: That's what I was going to ask you about is, I mean, it's, I know it's a controversial topic. Um, you there's know, there's a good and
1: reason wolves damn near became extinct. They're, they don't have a whole lot of use.
0: Well, I mean, I've seen these these, these articles or, or these guys that are talking about what they can do in packs, just to to elk, to deer, to you know different things, and and uh, I don't know. It's just it, it's so it's so tough, you know. And I know some other states are talking about reintroducing them as well, and you know it seems pretty divided. You know, you know it,
1: is, it is, I love animals, I love dogs, I love deer, I love elk, you know, I I half the time find myself just enjoying being around them when I am out in the woods, you know, there's a lot of times I'll see a big buck come strutting out, I just enjoy watching them, you know, I'll put the scope on them and, and put the finger on the trigger and then, you know, it's like you're up close to them and all of a sudden you just want to watch them and that's something that only a hunter can appreciate and understand, you know, it's like, Sometimes you don't really need the meat, but you use it as an excuse to get out of the house, get out of the shop, get away from the everyday humdrum of life and you don't always have to pull that trigger and with wolves, I can't share that sentiment. you know I grew up cattle ranching in Montana and when you see wool a pack of wolves come through and just slaughter cows, not even eat them. you develop a deep-seated hatred for that animal and then they're just worthless. You can't eat them you, you know, the hides aren't worth anything anymore. They're literally just a worthless animal that just destroys. You know, if we had severely overpopulated bison herd roaming across the country like we did back in the 1800s, they have their place to keep that herd thinned out. But And what they kill does get eaten, but nowadays, you know, we've got so many people hunting, the, the animal herds aren't what they used to be due to overhunting, and so wolves just really don't have a place in our current wildlife. You know, they're not doing us any favors.
0: What was the the first rifle you hunted with? I was thinking about that because I know from talking uh, with people who are really passionate about hunting, they always remember the first rifle they used. Yeah. And it holds yeah, a sentimental I mean, value.
1: Something that, you know, <laughs> hunting, you always think of like a bolt action or whatever. I always think of a bolt action. That's like your classic yeah. go-to for big game hunting in the United States and I didn't have that you know my dad we were very poor like I mentioned before and so he did that two for one bought a couple old SKS's out of a shotgun News and a crate of ammo for like 289 dollars and <laughs> that was my first gun was an old SKS with a super short wooden stock on it which was perfect for a 12 year old and man I killed more animals with that gun than anything I've owned I mean it's I think the last time I counted, I killed 26 deer with it and like 15 elk and a couple black bears. And you don't want to be on the business end of that old gun. I still got it today sitting in the gun cabinet.
0: I mean, those are, those were the good old days and I definitely missed them, but I hear all the old timers. Like when I go to the, the gun store, cause it literally is like cheers when I walk in there. Like they all know me <laughs> <laughs> yeah. probably putting some thing. of their kids through college, you know, but yep. They talk about those those old SKSs and you know the crate's of 762 by 39. You could get so cheap and SKSs are oh, tough yeah, to find they... now. Like a Russian one, those ones are they're they not are. everywhere.
1: Yeah, you know? yeah, they really are. And I mean, what better gun for a kid to start out with, really? You know, I mean, yeah. they're very very safe. Um, you drop them in the mud, pick it back up, it's gonna shoot. It's not gonna jam. You know, my dad would always. Pulled the tube out of it, so it was a single shot. So I had to use it very much like a bolt action. You know, he took the 10-round magazine out of it, and put a five-round in it for me, and I had to yank the bolt back every time I wanted to cycle around Which, you know, was probably a good thing. It kept me from doing the inevitable spray and pray when you got a semi-automatic hunting rifle. So
0: <laughs>
1: it kept me honest, and uh, he was very strict about heart shots only. He didn't want to show one off, and. But, you know, I mean, it was a great gun, and it did what we needed to do. I mean, I learned to kill an animal very quickly and ethically with one good shot versus, you know, having five, ten rounds that I could spray out there at the top of a trigger. So it was a good gun to start out with, and I hunted with it in my 20s. And that's kind of when I got tied in with a group of guys that were more into the long-range hunting, and I ended up with a Christiansen Arms bolt-action 300 uh, Win Mag carbon fiber barrel, night force scope, all kinds of crazy gadgets. And we were into shooting elk at, you know, 1,000 yards, 1,200 yards, and that was, it was different, different kind of hunting. I enjoyed it for about a year, but then the first time I killed an animal that far away, it took away the up-close-and-personal. You know, it wasn't about being quiet. It wasn't about making sure you didn't smell like an old shoe. And that stuff, to me, is more enjoyable. I like getting in there front door and sneaking around their living room trying to catch them in bed rather than shooting from a thousand yards away on the side of the hill which is cool don't get me wrong but it's just not my style I'm more of a anymore I take the old lever action 30-30 out in the woods with open sights and I mean that's just as effective and you can bring home just as much meat so to each their own I guess when it comes to weapon choice
0: I've always always gravitated towards I don't know why but everyone makes fun of me or the old like the old com block weapons, so like the AKM, the different variances, um, like the AK74. With, well, I mean it's a it's a clone, so like the SLR104 and those sorts of things, and AR15s, and you know, so most of that stuff I'd be shooting at 50 to maybe 400 yards, maybe. And I went right. out last year with some buddies, and they were all long range guys, and we go out way east of Denver, and they have these steel plates at about a thousand yards. And I'm I could barely see it, you know, just looking at it and then you know, get behind the rifle, see it through through the optic. And it was a rush just to try to hit it. And it you know, I didn't do it the first time. <laughs> I don't know how much ammo I right. wasted, but it was just so oh, cool yeah. trying to do it's a different kind of 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 rush, I guess, you know, you could say.
1: Well the crazy thing is you look at a SKS or, or an A K and they've got that adjustable sight on, those things adjust out to a thousand yards. On a mechanical sight. I mean, imagine trying to. I, I met an old guy at a gun show years ago up in in uh, Spokane, Washington, and that's what he had. A old breech block forty five seventy that he was doing long range competitive shooting with, and I mean, it, all it had was a slide peep sight, and he was shooting
0: pie plates at a thousand yards with it. Like that's insane to me. Oh, that's nuts. Like some of those guys on YouTube, uh, like Jerry Michelak. You ever seen those videos where he like hits a. A piece of plywood, like a you know a, a sheet of plywood at a thousand yards with a nine millimeter and this other crazy stuff, or however far it was, I'm like I can barely see that stuff there. <laughs> you know,
1: yeah. these guys like shooting yeah, it upside thought... down and
0: hitting it. I'm like, wow. <laughs> well,
1: and I, you know, that's just that's the thing of it all, and that's kind of what we were talking about the other day. it's like we're diesel mechanics by day, but we don't ever know what all these guys are into as far as hobbies by you know, weekend and night, and I think that's really fun, and it's cool, because we've all taken simple things and made them challenges that we enjoy, and that's all hunting is, you know, you you can do a million different ways, and there ain't one way to do it really wrong, whether you're killing deer with a bow and arrow, or you're doing it with a musket loader, you know, old-fashioned black powder, I mean, there's just so many cool ways that we can hunt, and that's what I enjoy is trying them all, you know, I don't think there's any one way I'd say that I like hunting other than over another, just they all present their own challenges and their own equipment. I guess that's really what we are as men is we're just grown up kids and we just have more expensive toys.
0: (laughs) I really learned that, um, at ATS when, you know, guys had come in from all over the country in the fall for hunting season and they would drop their trucks off and they'd be getting, you know, transmission or turbo kit or just something. And you get to talking to them and they're there for hunting and they have such a passion for that and then it's combined with you know they weren't just getting stock parts put on their trucks like they wanted right they wanted the cool stuff you know and yeah it was really the first time i saw it and i thought man there's there's something there you know
1: well they definitely go hand in hand i mean that's that's the crazy thing for us you know it's we're down here in georgia and i mean it's hunting here is almost a religion like if you don't hunt there's something wrong with you but <laughs> it's also our busiest time of year at the shop because that's when guys are hauling tractors and folders and side by sides out in the woods and getting their campers set up so they're tearing their trucks up but it's like they don't want to just fix it you know it's like oh my turbo went out hauling my camper can we do an upgrade you know and it just <laughs> snowballs and other things and that's the same thing i ran into out out west you know you get up in the Rocky Mountains, and you're trying to haul a horse trailer full of horses and, you know, canvas tents and everything to go up on a two-week elk hunt. You're going up some steep grades with heavy stuff behind you. I mean, that's that's when trucks mess up, and I think that's where the aftermarket swoops in. And that's where we do better than what the factory did, you know. It's like you go to the top of that mountain pass at 35 miles an hour in your Dodge, or we throw some compounds on it, and you're going to go over that pass at 65 miles an hour. And the EGTs are cooler and the training shifts better. It's just hunting and diesel performance are one and the same. They go together like peas and carrots, man.
0: I think it's an independent spirit too. Like, you know, driving a diesel, it's such a, it's not a small market, but it is compared to all the other vehicles on the road, you know? So when you have one and you drive it and you're passionate about it, you love that independence. And then I think being resourceful you know, with hunting, there's, that's right. there's so much that goes into it, you know, with knowledge, knowledge of the terrain, um, patience, all those sorts of things. It's like, like you said, man, peas and carrots.
1: Yep. Now, I man, I'm <laughs> sitting out here in my truck right now, like outside the shop, and I mean, I've got, we got a bunch of hogs moved into one of our f- areas where we got food plots planted. So, I mean, that's the cool thing here in Georgia, you know, and I hated that up up north it's like man hunting season's over and it was just depressing like you're waiting all year for hunting season again unless you get into coyote hunting which is a freaking blast and I encourage everybody to do it because again they're kind of a worthless animal but down here we got hog hunting all year long like you can kill them nobody cares you don't have to buy tags you don't have to report them so as much as they're a pain in the butt because they do tear up our food plots, they are a blast to hunt and they're 10 times smarter than a deer but I've got Sitting right here in my truck, I got the dog, I got the thirty thirty lever action, I got the four fifty four raging bull. Like I'm ready to go at any given time. And <laughs> it's a blast down here.
0: Well, that's what I was going to ask you is like the, you know the difference between you know hunting in the the Rocky Mountains and there and just I see it on uh, just hunting shows and even on Facebook and stuff, guys talking about it is how destructive those hogs can be for oh, the environment horrible. for farms. And they're, I mean, it seems like they're just going crazy multiplying,
1: you know. They are, because it can breed so quickly, you know, and we've had trail cameras. We've got trail cameras that send us text messages to our phones. So, you know, I'm sitting here trying to work all day, and my phone's like, ba-ding, ba and I'm getting <laughs> pictures of hogs in the middle of the day. And we've been watching this one little group of hogs pretty closely for the last month, and it's like, first there was just one hog, and she'd come in there every morning at 3 a.m. Well, two weeks later, she got three piglets with her and here we are a month later and now these piglets are having piglets you know it's just nuts how fast these things can breed and they don't they don't have to be big you know it's like a deer is going to grow for a full year before it can have one or two fawns so they're much slower to repopulate whereas these hogs i mean they can have two batches of babies in a year and they can have up to 13 at a time so you talk about an invasive species they're insane you think, you think we'll ever get a handle on it? I don't think so. I think there's too many of us crazy guys that enjoy hunting them. So it's like you'll get the herd thinned down to where there's like two or three left, and you just kind of <laughs> let them hang out and repopulate so we have something to hunt the rest of the summer. And, <laughs> you know, i talked to a lot of the locals here, and that's exactly what you hear. It's like, yeah, we used to be covered up in hogs. We killed them all. Wish we wouldn't have done that. You know, there's like a little bit of regret. But they also hate them because they do tear up the farms, they do tear up the front yard, they do tear up the food plots. But you've always got that little group of guys that misses it, you know, in the area. And the area that we're in here is not known for being covered up with hogs. When I first moved here four years ago, we had to drive two, three hours away to go where the hogs are still really bad. So you can get a, you can get a handle on them here in Georgia because it's a heavily populated, pretty small state places like Texas where you got 16,000 acre ranches and stuff sprawled out. Man, that's a lot harder to get control of cuz you don't have the volume of people hunting them.
0: Yeah, I can see that. Well, yeah, one of the things I always always love hearing is like around the holidays or whatever, my my uh a lot of guys in my family hunt. They always like to tell the story of, you know, the just a memorable hunt they had. Maybe they didn't even get anything, they just got to spend time with their dad or their grandfather or something like that. What would be one of your favorite stories?
1: Man, I've got so many, but, I mean, bull elk, they're such a majestic creature, and when you get lined up on one and everything just works out perfect, and you hunt so hard for elk, you know, it's not like deer. You know, when I was growing up as a kid, my grandpa would always tell me, like, the way you hunt deer, you walk out in the woods and you see those white tails, you sit down. And he told me that when I was probably seven or eight years old and I would go hunt with him or my dad you know every chance I got it's crazy how it works I and mean, you walk out in the woods and you see those white tails go up running away from your flag and you sit down right there and deer are so curious about 10 15 20 minutes later they will always walk right back down that trail to see what it was that jumped them they're very stupid in a way but they're very smart in many other ways but they're ultimately pretty easy animals to hunt if you're in the right area elk don't do that If you spook an elk, that son of a gun will run for 20 miles and never stop, or they may not run at all and just stand there and give you the perfect shot opportunity, so you never really know what you're getting with elk, and me and a couple buddies that I built timber frame homes for up in Montana got to be really good friends with these guys, and they were big-time elk hunters, and they had an area that was very hard to get to, very seclusive, and they had built their own road to get back into the backside of this mountain range and nobody else hunted it. It was gated. They owned the property that the road ran through. So to get to hunt there was almost not going to happen unless you had horses and you were going to backpack over the front side of the mountain where it was public access and you had to do go about 20, 25 miles on horseback just to get to a point where you could start hunting this area. And it was very rough terrain, super steep on the St. Mary's river in Idaho. And I got the opportunity to hunt with them and that's probably why it's my most memorable hunt, because the guy that I went with, him and his brother, his brother had shot this monster bull, big 6x6, six 300-something six, and something class bull, shot it in the neck, and didn't kill it. And they tracked it for days and days on end and would catch up to him. it and would always give him a slip. Well, then the following year, my buddy shot that same elk, and it went down and got back up and tracked it for days and days. Well, they took me down there this one year and they tell me all these stories, and I'm, you know, I got a hard-on for this bull. Like, I just know <laughs> that somehow it's going to work out and I'm going to get him. And the first two days we hunted and we didn't, we didn't see him. You know, they took me to where they both shot him and told me the story again, and I was like, man, no wonder he got away. I mean, this is horrible terrain, super steep, and he was shacked up on the top of this razorback ridge that was just, he had it figured out. There was a big, giant wallow and a little pool up in the top where he could go to drink and have a little stream flow into it and then it was just you know 50 degrees 50 degrees down one side and 90 degrees down the other I mean it was just gnarly terrain and this bull was safe he could see anything and everything that was coming into him and so we hunted him for a couple days and I got pneumonia and I was sicker than a dog and a couple days in I just told the guys I was like I can't I can't hike like we've been hiking So we drove up the road, and I just basically jumped out of the truck and walked in on the end of that ridge and just sat down by a ponderosa pine and just pretty much wrapped up in a blanket and sat there and coughed all day. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to see nothing. I'm making too much noise. Right, yeah. That damn bull, he walked out, 5 o'clock, starting to get dark. He strutted out in the middle of that clearing, and, I mean, everything just worked out textbook perfect breadbasket shot, the biggest bull I've ever killed in my life. I think it was 370 inches when we finally measured him out, which isn't record books, but, you know, for hunting public land and doing it the hard way, it was the most memorable hunt. I mean, I literally still have dreams about that whole scene playing
0: out. Man, that's cool. I bet it was. Uh, I bet you got a nice little surprise, though, when you're sitting there sick, and then all of a sudden this mythical creature... Yeah, it, you know, yeah, it was pops literally
1: out. like something out of a movie. Like I was like, "This can't be happening right now," you know. And it, I was so sick, and you know, heads pounding. You've been coughing all day. Just pneumonia is no joke. And I didn't know I had pneumonia until we got back to town. But you know, at the time, I was just sick and it just all played out like he just walked out looked right at me and just stood there perfectly broadside for a couple minutes because I had my gun all wrapped up in my blankets and everything so I had to get all that stuff out and (laughs) you know he just stood there and let it happen and I you know I think some years we hunt and it's so depressing because you do you hike 20 miles a day up and down mountains and packing a heavy pack and you don't see anything or they get the bust on you and you always just catch the tail end of the herd going around that ridge, and it can get very aggravating. So when, when all that hard work pays off, you know, my wife, she gives me hell about hunting. She's like, why do you hunt? You always get mad when you don't see nothing. I'm like, oh, because the meat's <laughs> free. And she's like, yeah, right, saying about $2,700 a pound for whitetail nowadays. But, you know, it's just so, it's something I love, and it's my escape from work because I could be sitting at the house, and I can – you know, customers send you a Facebook message. Hey man, I need you to look at my truck on Monday. Is that cool? Yeah man, swing by a shop. And you're expected to answer them, but it's like this universal code where somebody tries to call your cell phone and you're like, bro, I'm in a deer stand and they never bug you the rest <laughs> of the weekend. Like it's just the only way I can get away from work is to be up in a deer stand.
0: I think the closest that I have to that is just, uh, I think with, with guns, um, learning about them. Um, I've just always been fascinated by it. Like, I can spend hours in a gun store. I mean, let me take that back. I can spend hours in there if I'm ready to, if I'm going to buy something. I don't like to just go and look because then I feel like I was a giant failure. But, yeah, I mean, I could never, I don't think, own a gun store or or do that because I'm so, like, focused in on certain brands and certain things I like. I'm like, I don't care about that brand or I don't care about that but
1: right yeah
0: it's so well, cool that's,
1: that's something we run into with trucks you know and luckily being that i did grow up poor you know i'd never got the opportunity or the ingraining of forward chevy dodge you know we didn't we drove whatever the heck we could afford to get us you know to work or to town or to wherever we were going and that's made it a lot easier for me in the diesel industry, is not being so brand-specific. You know, it's like, man, I've owned a lot of Dodges. I've owned a lot of Fords. never owned a Chevy. I don't know why. You know, I just have, the opportunities never come up. But it's just, it makes it easier with my job. You know, people call me all the time. They're like, what kind of truck do you think's best? Uh, I don't know. You go set your ass in all three of them. Whichever one fits your ass the best, that's the one you need to buy, and then I'll tell you what problems <laughs> you're going to have with it. You know, it's not that easy with guns, because I can tell you right now, High Point's piece of crap. (laughs) There's no two ways about it, but... No, I mean, guns are... They're addicting, and you can't on just one.
0: Oh, it's bad. Like, I... uh, When I got hooked, it was... I got hooked on Glocks. I don't know why, but I did. And I got used to the weird kind of grip angle i got used to the crappy trigger and i got to shoot them really well and then i would start to shoot say like a 1911 where it's right the ergonomics of it are so nice and the triggers are so crisp and i'm like man this is a whole new world and then you know like the the walther ppq which in my opinion has one of the best triggers in a polymer gun just out of the box yeah i try that i'm like man i missed it. i mean you know, H and K makes great stuff, and and CZ, and it's just, man, I could talk for hours about that stuff. But I, I feel you, though. I feel you on you know, like that passion and that excitement, and and uh, you know, this one particular gun store. This guy, I don't know where he got his money from. I don't know what he did in a previous life, but he's got all this class three stuff up on the. It's up high, but I mean, he has some. like right. You know, uh, machine guns, AKs, M16s. Short Barrel Rifles, Thompson All this cool stuff I'm looking like Man, that's the pinnacle right there I know that he's probably got Hundreds of thousands of dollars wrapped up in this But he's the king of the castle, man I'm like, I'm jealous
1: The one gun you've got that I really want I remember you posted on Facebook Years ago Is your scar And I've never cared about the AR-15s, I don't know why my, my little brother, when he got back from Afghanistan, you know, he had a bunch of money saved up, and he went and spent just boatloads on this AR, having to custom fill all the gadgets. And he came to visit me in Idaho, you know, and I'm still rocking the AKs and the SKs's back then. I hadn't really gotten into the lever guns so much yet, and I hadn't gotten into long-range stuff, but he brought his brand-new AR out there, and I don't even remember what brand it was. I was that disinterested in it, but he was all proud of it and tell me how much money he spent on it and tell me what brand the trigger was. And it, you know, it was like me talking about a diesel truck, you know, like a five nine Cummins with ATS twin turbos and dual sealers. I can get all excited about my brother didn't care. So that's kind of how it was. Well, we went up to go shoot and (laughs) we wanted to go shoot real bad. So I took him this old logging road and we went out there and shot that stupid thing must've jammed 47 times. And it finally jammed so bad that we couldn't get the shell casing out of the end of the barrel. So we had to take it to a gunsmith to get it out. And so then that guy sitting there telling oh, you can only shoot this brand of ammo, and it's got to be this time of year and this humidity. And I'm like, that is a piece of crap. Like, I can throw some crappy old Russian-made wolf steel case corrosive whatever in my AK, and that son of a gun will cycle every single freaking round <laughs> and hit bullseyes all day long. So I, I really did never get sucked into that AR stuff. But when you started getting into the SCAR stuff, and I started reading about those, man, what a beautiful machine! I mean, that is a wicked gun, and I, I mean, still own one.
0: It drives me nuts. <laughs> Dude, what caught me once, man, is I, I was out there some range, and this guy had uh, an FD Scar Seventeen. I don't remember what optic was on it, but I saw it, and it looked so different. And that like planted the seed of me focusing on this one thing for like a year. And I'd go yeah, into the I... gun store, I'd see it. And it's definitely the nicest rifle I've ever had. I just, I love how light it is. Um, It's just, it's simple. You can switch the controls on it. So, like, you say shooting an AK all the time, I'm used to charging it, you know, on the right side. So I could do that with the SCAR and just kind of keep the operation, you know, kind of the same. But, man, that you got to get one. I mean, whether it's black or it's FDE. If if you go FTE though, you have to get the tan mags. So you gotta you gotta get the tan mags.
1: Oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm getting one <laughs> one way or another. It's gonna happen. If I can stop blowing money on lever actions, man. If I walk in and see a sexy lever gun, it's it's hard. <laughs> but I, it's funny. I got a, a really good friend here in Georgia. He's a ex Army Ranger, and you know he's all into ARs and stuff like that, you know, real tactical looking stuff and he's always giving me a hard time because I don't have any. I mean, the closest thing I've got is I did by, when I started researching the, the scars, when I seen you posting about them and, you know, I, I wanted one, but let's face it, they're expensive and I didn't want to get divorced that year, so <laughs> I settled for a I settled for a Sig Sarr, 556. Five, I walked into a gun store, like you said, I could spend hours in there and I started talking to the old man behind the counter. I was telling him the story about my brother's crappy AR and how unimpressed i was with it and he got you know I, I was there to buy a scar like i had saved up the money i was there to get that and he's like man he's like they're they're great guns you know price tags real high whatever he's like check out this six R," and i i looked at this is a sexy gun i mean i don't know if you've ever seen the SIG or five five six Assault. all yeah. they don't even make them anymore um changed up models a few times since then. i think it was back 2011 ish 12 ish when i bought it And he talked me into it, and he made me a promise. He said, I promise you you can shoot 1,000 rounds through that gun and never clean it, and it will never jam. And you can shoot whatever ammo you want. And I have literally probably shot over 1,500 rounds through that gun now, and I have never cleaned it. It is the nastiest thing. You pull the magazines out, and it's just black, you know. And it's right up there with an AK. I mean, the action, if you look at the actions, are so similar. It's almost like Sig just took an AK and modernize it but I'm still going to get a scar just you know got to sell a few my lever guns
0: what's so what's so crazy though is, is once you get it and you shoot it and it's light and it's it's accurate you know for what it is and I just never wanted to scratch it because that color that they put on the upper it's like you could never match that that's like a custom paint job on a truck like there's no way to touch (laughs) that up
1: (laughs) no i I stopped by we got a really cool indoor shooting range like right behind our diesel shop here so i I find myself down there far too often but they've got one just like your the hanging on the wall and is just sitting there tempting me i'm like ready to sell my truck to go get two of them but
0: (laughs) i want to get tagged in some pictures if you do
1: right yeah, You got, what, one of them now, or you have, you have two of them?
0: No, I, uh, no, just, just that one, I mean, I do like the Scar 16, that's a really nice, you know, 5.56 five, yeah. gun, but it's kind of like the same thing, like, alright, I think they're what, 2,500 bucks or so, twenty-four, twenty-three for that, that Scar you know, 16, I'm like, well, you know, I could get, you know, an LWRC, or a Daniel Defense, or, you know, uh. Spikes Tactical or all these other brands, and they're not that pricey. It's like hard to convince myself. Yeah. But when you think of a light 308, uh, or 7.62 by 51 rifle, it's I don't know if anything quite compares to the FN Scar.
1: No, and that's that's kind of why I regret not getting it because back then when I walked in there to buy it, I had the money for it, and I ended up walking out of there with a Sig Sauer 5.56 and an FN 5.7, so it's like I got. In my mind, I was like, yeah, I got two guns for the price of one, but it still ain't the same, you know, and I, I really wish I wouldn't have gone with 5.56 five, because it's a good good round. I mean, actually, when I moved here to Georgia, I, I went hunting with my boss here that owns Leadfoot, and his daughter was just kind of getting to the age where she wanted to start going hunting, and so I took her out a couple times. She wouldn't pull the trigger, and I was like, why, why did you let that deer walk? as a big deer, and she's like, oh, I'm waiting for a bigger one. So I was kind of proud of her for that, And so when we get back to the truck, I told my boss, I was like, hey, sport, you know, she let a pretty decent buck walk. You know, good for her. He's like, no, she didn't let it walk. She wants a bigger one. She let it walk. She was scared to pull the trigger. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. You know, and I I done took her hunting like every morning before work for a week. I was like, you've got to be kidding me." (laughs) So I took her down here to the indoor shooting range, and I took every gun I got. The SKS, the AK, a couple of my lever action guns, smaller smaller you know Like i got a 375 winchester lever actually doesn't kick at all and uh i just took all the guns i said you're gonna shoot every single one and then whatever one that you feel comfortable with that's what we'll take out hunting and she picked that damn Sig. i mean she loved it you know once i finally got her to pull the trigger and she saw there was almost no recoil Cause a 556 is a light round that's a heavy gun you know that's a 10 pound gun with the accessories that i've got on it and the first day i took her hunting she killed a big eight point buck with it so it will definitely take down a deer. I mean, it's not my first choice, but that buck she shot him, perfect breadbasket shot, he dropped in his tracks, and you're take a step. So you can't write him off as worthless, but at the same time, I, I like a 308 caliber better.
0: You're going to love that one, man. I'm telling you. i definitely I'm telling let you, you know when I get it. <laughs> Do you get to go hunting? Like, say, you know, be in the diesel industry and, you know, lead foot, you know, it was a great shop, really well-known. I'm sure you guys get invited all over the place, you know, for sled pulling or events and stuff. Do you ever get to combine the two and say, you know, go out of state or go someplace for work and then take the rifles and, you know, get you to know, play? You
1: know, I have been invited on more what I would call exotic hunts, you know, opportunities, I guess, that I wouldn't have if I wasn't a in diesel industry I've been invited on more exotic hunts since I've been in the diesel industry than ever before in my life. And I worked for a hunting outfitter for many years in Montana. I didn't even get invited that much then, you know, but it, the thing I hate the most is just how busy we are. You know, most of the time these opportunities come up and it's, you know how it is. I mean, you got trucks in the shop, you got to work well, you, you got to make hay while the sun's shining. So <laughs> I have not yet had the opportunity to attend a hunt, but I've gotten invited on hundreds of them. And I really want to go down and play with Paul Rutledge and the guys down there in Texas and do some of the hog hunting. And then you can even do some of the exotic African animal hunts down there. I'd love to get down there and do some of that.
0: That'd be cool. You'll have to keep us updated on that. And, uh yeah, That so can live vicariously through you and and these these oh, things yeah. that you do. <laughs>
1: we'll, we'll definitely post them on Facebook for you. Share on your guys' page.
0: There you go. There you go. Yeah, hopefully I make it down there. I, I definitely, definitely want to. Um, you know, not just to to see you guys and and say hi, but uh, and uh, you know, enjoy some outdoor activities and and uh, see that part of the country.
1: Hell yeah, man! Anytime. You know, our house is open to you. Come down, and stay with us. We'll take you hog hunting. We got big old farm, hogs, deer, whatever.
0: Man, I can't wait. You're starting to get me pumped. Got to be checking think, my yeah. schedule and stuff now.
1: <laughs> nothing between you and me except for air and opportunity
0: <laughs> there you go i'm gonna steal i'm gonna steal that <laughs> i'm gonna steal it
1: man <laughs> that's awesome man we'd love to have you it'd be a
0: blast don't forget guys call ats at 866-209-3695 when you order anything from them just mention the diesel power podcast just say Hey guys, I heard about this on the Diesel Power Podcast. And they're going to give you a free t-shirt. You just tell them the size you want. They'll put it in the box with your order. And it's going to get headed your way. You can also go to ATSDiesel.com. And you just it's a very easy to use website. You go on there. You organize the parts by the year and the make truck you got. And then you're going to see everything. So turbos and transmissions and rebuild kits and differential covers. Everything ATS makes is going to be right there. All right, guys. Thanks again for listening to the Diesel Power Podcast, and until next time, keep the shiny side up.